And while I'm fiddling around up here, you can take your Bibles and turn to Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, or if you are not used to looking through a Bible, there are Bibles provided for you in the pews. We'd like you to turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And I will be covering some important things in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. Let me just read that and then I'll explain. Revelation chapter 6. Beginning in verse number 9. And I'm just going to be going through verse 11. Revelation chapter 6, verse number 9. And the Bible says, And when he broke the fifth seal, and the he there is Jesus Christ, I saw underneath the altar souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they main had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true? Wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been should be completed also. Now, let me just back up and try to explain what's happening. This is taking place, this has not taken place yet in, in life, in the world. This is going to take place in a tribulation period that the world has never known before, a time of trouble, a time the Bible calls Jacob's trouble. And it's going to be one of the most horrible times that this earth has ever seen. And if you look up here on this chart, this flow chart, you'll find here that the cross of Christ happened about 33 AD. And right now we are in the age called the age of dispensation or the age of grace. That means the gospel of Jesus Christ is death his burial, his resurrection is being preached all over the world. And every tribe, every people, every kindred, every tongue have an opportunity to come to know the true and living God by accepting him, Christ, as their savior for the forgiveness of their sins, that he may cleanse them. And Christ, of course, has the authority to give them eternal life that when they die, they can know for sure that when they pass away from this life physically, they can live with God, Jesus Christ, forever and ever and ever. And because of the cross of Calvary, that is possible for even you tonight who have come. 
And so, during this age of grace, you are here, the gospel is being preached. We are actually living in it. But someday, the Bible tells us there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a, a, a day when the Lord is going to take, take all those who believed in Him off this earth to be with Him forever and ever. Now, it doesn't mean the earth has ended. People are going to be living on the earth still. Life is going to go on in a sense as normal. People are going to be marrying and giving in marriage. They're going to be doing the normal things of life. The only problem is that the church is gone. It's no longer here. Now, during that time, God's going to use this tribulation period to bring the Jewish nation back to Him. Right now, the Jews are partially blinded or hardened in their heart. You don't find many Jews in, in great numbers calling out for Jesus Christ, their Messiah, and believing in Him. Matter of fact, they're persecuting Christians as they did in the time of Jesus Christ. But they are coming individually, and they're coming to believe in Jesus Christ. But someday, the Lord is going to use this period to pour out His wrath upon the whole world. And that's going to be called the Day of the Lord or the Day of God. And He is going to, in that seven-year period, be bringing back the Jews. And also, there's going to be a great multitude of Gentiles, and that's everybody else who's not a Jew, that are going to come into God's fold. And then as that seven-year tribulation goes uh, through its literal seven years, Satan, of course, is going to exalt himself on the throne of God. He's going to have people worship him. There's going to be the unholy trinity arise in the world. The beast, the false prophet, the antichrist, and they're going to be working together. And they're going to get the whole world to worship Satan, all right, their man of sin, and this is literally going to happen. And then, though, at the end of the seven years, Christ is going to come back again. And there's going to be a battle then, and the judgment of the nations, and then the Lord is going to reign for a thousand years on this earth, and all those who believed in Him will reign with Him for a thousand years. Now, as far, our, as far as our passage of Scripture is concerned tonight, you'll find there it's talking about the fifth seal. Now, this is what it's talking about. Let me just explain that just to give some background so you are not completely left in the dark in this lesson. The scene is in heaven. God the Father is sitting on the throne. The earth right now is really not in the authority, in a sense, of Jesus Christ, but has been given over or forfeited over to Satan. He's controlling, he's the prince and power of the air. Someday Christ is going to step up and he's going to take the scroll out of the Father's hand. And the scroll, really what it is, is a book. But, of course, back then they didn't have books like we have them bound today, but they had scrolls. And the Bible says that the scroll is written on the front end and on the back. And the scroll that Jesus had the authority to take out of the Father's hand is the title deed to the earth. 
it's the title lead to everything. And on that scroll, there are seven seals, something, maybe something like this. And Christ was the only one who had the authority to break each one of the seven seals. And we know that each one of the seals represents a part of the judgment of God. When the seventh seal is broken, the Bible says there will be seven trumpets. And then as, at the end of the seven trumpets, there will be seven bowls. And that means as we go through the seven years of tribulation, the tribulation will become worse and worse and worse in this world. Now, this passage of scripture that I read tonight is speaking of the fifth seal. We already looked at the first four seals. It's looking at the fifth seal. Now, if you notice, over in Revelation chapter 6, in verse number 17, Revelation is the, is the book describing the outpouring of the anger and the wrath of God upon man. Actually, Revelation is speaking about the end of man's day and the beginning of God's day. Man has had his chance to rule. He has had his chance to rule the kingdoms of the world and obtain peace. But man in his heart has no peace. He has war and fighting in his heart. And there will be wars to the day you and I die. There'll never be the kind of peace that comes when a person comes to a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 6 and verse 17, notice what it says there. It says that the people of the earth had noticed something. It says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That is the day of the wrath or the anger of God that will be poured out on this earth, and it will be a time of great, great tribulation. Now, the end of man's day is a time where God begins to take back his earth. It is a time where he cast out all the rebels of the world. And as we have seen already, God will bring judgment in the first four seals that I have mentioned. And let me just quickly review them. The first seal, the white horse represented Antichrist, who's going to come with a message of peace to the world. He's going to make a covenant with Israel, a covenant of peace and in a sense keep that for three and a half years and then at the midpoint he's going to break his agreement and he is going to become the persecuted persecutor of Israel instead of the protector of Israel and really on the fifth seal we're going to see that tonight also the red horse which was the second seal was the seal that produced war that antichrist would fight against men and that men would fight against men and god does not directly intervene as of yet but we'll find later on as we go through revelation heaven begins to fight with earth and then the battle on earth becomes very hopeless the black horse represented famine 
and the pale horse represented death. Those were the first four seals. Now we know that war brings famine and famine brings death. And in the tribulation, there will always be those three things, war, famine, and ultimately death. Now, we come to the fifth seal and also the last three seals. And these are really responses to the judgment of God upon the world. One group responds by prayer, and that's the group we'll look at tonight. They are the martyrs. The second group responds by being fearful. They're afraid. They want to hide themselves from the one who is the wrath of the Lamb. And they're the unsaved people of the earth. And then the last group is the heavenly host, the audience in heaven. And they respond to the judgment of God in complete silence. That when that seventh seal is broken, the horror that's going to be unleashed upon the earth is so great that there is silence, the Bible says, in heaven for the space of one half hour. And so far we have noticed there is never silence in heaven. People are always worshiping and praising God. The 24 elders are there and the seraphim and the cherubim and the angels of God and all those who worship him are there and it's a place of great activity and music. And yet there's going to come a time where heaven is going to be silenced because of the horror of the wrath of God that will be leased upon this earth. Now this evening, let's look quickly at the fifth seal. And we're looking back to heaven. And let's look at verse number, back to Revelation chapter six and verse number nine. And it says, when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Now, what I'd like to do is simply explain, all right? I'm going to explain what's happening in that passage of scripture. And so I'd just like you to listen and look at the word of God and begin to imagine in your heart some of the things that even have already taken place and will take place as the fifth seal is broken. Now it says in verse number nine that there were people underneath the altar. Now to understand that, we must go back to the Old Testament, but I just want to bring it to your memory in Leviticus and Exodus. The altar always represented judgment. That's where the Israelites would come and they would slay their lamb without blemish. And they would take the blood of that animal. And the high priest would pour it over the altar. And that altar represented the judgment of God upon sin. Meaning that there must be a blood sacrifice for sins to be remitted or cleansed or washed away. And so these souls here in Revelation 9, 
Revelation chapter 6, are souls that are at the foot of the altar. They're not on the altar, they're at the foot of the altar. And so that gives us a different picture. Because the foot of the altar represents when the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice was complete. And the blood had run down the foot of the altar, it really meant that forgiveness had come and now forgiveness was available to all those who availed themselves to the blood of Jesus Christ. And so in reality, these saints that are at the foot of the altar are already under the blood of Christ. They are already Christians. They already have believed. Matter of fact, they have already died physically and then their souls are now in heaven. But they're at the foot of the altar doing something. But let me just explain for a moment for the sake of those who have been following in Revelation and ask who are these saints? A saint is someone who is set apart. Let me just suggest to you they are not the saints of the church and they are not the saints really of the church age but they are the saints of the tribulation period. The time when the wrath of God will be poured out, these are the saints. Now, to explain that more fully, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 11. Remember I said a moment ago that the tribulation period was specifically for Israel. Well, something has to happen before Israel can have their eyes opened to the true Messiah, to Jesus Christ, so they can begin to trust Him and be saved. And notice in Romans chapter 11, in verse number 25, it says this, it says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So the Bible is saying here that the thing that must happen before the blinders are lifted from Israel so they can see the Messiah is that the fullness of the Gentiles must happen. And the fullness of the Gentiles is the completion of the church. It's when the church all comes together and it's finished and done and God raptures it from this earth and then the fullness of the Gentiles is complete and at that moment the partial hardening of Israel is lifted now notice what it says in verse number 26 it says and thus all Israel will be saved just as it is written so that shows us that the saints that are there underneath that altar are those of Israel, those who have been martyred for their faith. Now, the Bible tells us that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and that is the fullness of the church, and the church is taken off, that God will begin to redeem Israel and bring His people back to Him. Now, during the second half of the tribulation, a great revival breaks out. 
And that great revival starts with Israel. Believe me, there is no person zealous, more zealous, I believe, than a Jew who has recognized their Messiah and has called upon him to save them. There's nothing, there's no human being on the earth more zealous for the gospel of Christ than a Jew who's been converted. Now the Bible says Israel, because the blinders are lifted, will be converted nationally. There will be worldwide revival. And they will be coming to their Messiah. They will be seeing the one that they have pierced. They will have great sorrow and they will come to their Messiah. And that's exactly within the plan of God. And so Jews will be coming by the droves to Messiah. The Bible also tells us during that time, and if you turn back to Revelation chapter 7, you will notice that God raises up a group of missionaries. In Revelation chapter 7, in verse number 1, let me, let's look down to verse number 3. It says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the son of Israel. And it goes through the 12 tribes of Israel. That means that a group of individuals, a group of Jewish missionaries were taken out of those tribes, brought together by God and sealed by God so they could not be harmed or hurt. For what reason? So they can go out through the whole world and preach the message of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Israelites and to the Jews. And when they do that, many, many of the Jews Many of Israel trust Christ as their Savior and their Messiah. But because of that, Antichrist begins to dog the saints. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Zechariah 13, 8, that two out of every three believing Jews will be killed for their faith. Two out of every three, that's a pretty high percentage. And so they will be killed for their faith. And also... A redeeming host of Gentiles will be saved during this period in the tribulation. Now, I want you to notice in Revelation chapter 6 or chapter 7 in verse number 9. There was another group of people, a multitude of people that have trusted Christ as Savior. And it says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb and in verse 11 it says in all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen and one of the elders answered saying to me 
in verse 13, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? They weren't Israel, and they weren't the church, because the 24 elders represent the church. So who were they? They were a group of Gentiles that got saved during the seven-year tribulation, that three-and-a-half-year tribulation period. And it says in verse 13, who are these, one of the elders said. And it says this, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. So the Bible is telling us that this group, this multitude of souls beneath the altar are those who have been slain during the tribulation period because they believed in Jesus Christ and they stood for the testimony. And because of that, Satan dogged them, and two out of every three were killed. And the 144 Jewish missionaries were sealed by God so they could not be hurt. So they can continue during that time to continue to preach the message of Messiah. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us also that the Lord took them and protected them for three and a half years. Now, what happened? to these particular people. Well, the Bible says they were slain. They were killed for their faith. And also, who killed them? Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation 12 that the dragon or the beast, the Antichrist, persecuted Israel. If you notice in verse 13 and 14 of Revelation chapter 7, it says, in verse 14, And I said to him, My Lord, you know... And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Meaning that because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they were killed. And in being killed physically, their garments were washed clean in the blood of the Lamb, going back to the sacrifice that is needed for the redemption of, the man, of mankind. And so they'll be delivered up in tribulation, and they will be killed. And so, who are these saints? They are the Jews and the Gentile believers in the tribulation period that are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, and now they are in heaven. Now, brethren, let me just stop for a moment and say this. During this time of life, on the earth to be a disciple is going to be very dynamic matter of fact if you know that you're going to get killed for your faith you better really believe it if you're going to die for your faith and these people really believed Christ has changed their hearts he had come in and cleansed them he had come in and he had shown them who he was and they trusted in him and because they trusted in him they were killed for their faith and as they were under the throne in heaven now protected by the blood of God forgiven of their sins but it was not all over yet on the earth 
They prayed in response to the judgment of God. And notice in verse 10 what they pray of chapter 6. This is their prayer. It says, And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging the blood of those who dwell on the earth? That's what their prayer was. They're saying, Lord, how long is it going to be before your judgment is over and that your kingdom is finally established forever and ever on the earth? How long is it going to be? Lord, let your judgment fall and take care of the things that you must so there can be full and absolute redemption and your kingdom can reign supreme over all the kingdoms of the world. How long, O oh Lord? Now, that was a prayer they prayed in accordance to the time of tribulation. They prayed for God's judgment. Now, what was the answer in verse number 11 of chapter 6? Notice what it says. And there was given to each of them white robe, a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been should be completed also what the lord was saying was this to these faithful christians both jew and gentile that were now in heaven redeemed by the blood of the land the lord says listen i'm going to give you white robes and the white robes always represent the righteousness of christ the protection of the righteousness of Christ, that they could never enter into God's heaven except by Christ's righteousness and not their own. And he says, I'm going to give you white robes and I want you to do something. I want you to wait a little longer. Why? Because the tribulation period is not finished yet. There are some of your brethren that are still down there on earth that have not yet trusted Christ and when they do they too will be killed for the faith and when the last one is killed for the faith then it will all end and so the Lord says hold on tight trust me I will bring it to pass and so there was a great and a tremendous price for a disciple of Jesus Christ during that time and this is just a scene in heaven of the people crying below the altar, waiting, waiting for God's plan to be consummated, waiting for them to, Christ to take back his earth and to establish his kingdom. And they are crying out continually and waiting for God's plan to come to completion. And that's what happened when the fifth seal was broken. But these martyrs, these faithful believers, responded to God's judgment. How? By prayer. Prayer always gives an indication of a human being trusting in a holy God. And that's how they responded. And that's the right response. And God's response to them was wait. God many times in response to our prayers tells us to wait. You know, the hardest thing to do is wait. We learn the most when we have to wait. And sometimes we get in the greatest trouble when we do wait. 
But you know what? It's a great thing to wait because Bible tells us that when we wait on God, He strengthens us. He makes us strong. He empowers us with His wisdom. He empowers us with His ability to do things and to carry on in this life. But let me just stop for a moment and share with you, just in case you have never heard the wonderful plan of God, that God really wants you this evening, who are still alive and still have red blood running through your veins, He wants you too to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. And there are several things that God really wants you and I to know. He wants you to know very simply that every person needs to be saved. Every person needs salvation. For the scriptures tell us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Except the man be born again, the Bible says. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Many times it's, not, it's a matter of who you are. People may think in, in the realm of religion that just to go to church is all you need to do. Just to be confirmed is all you need to do. But the Bible says you need to do more than that. It says that we have sin, and sin means that we have missed the mark. And through sins of action and sins of thought, we have been separated from a holy God. The Bible tells us by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Sin separates us and divides us and destroys our lives. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ came to deal with that. There's really no chance to go to heaven and have eternal life unless you have admitted this evening that you are a sinner and need help, need God's help, need Christ's help. He wants you to see you're a sinner. Secondly, He wants you to see that you cannot save yourselves. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His, the Bible says, mercy, He saved us. Titus tells us that, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Each one who comes under the hearing of the gospel of Christ can take the free gift of eternal life to be saved. And there's nothing we can do to, to earn the salvation that God offers. Yet, we make our attempts. We try to build our bridges. We try to gulf the gap that separates us between God. And we do it how? We do it by the very common things in our life. We do it by good works, hoping that God has a divine scale and, and that our good would always outweigh our bad and that God would look at that and say, hey, you did enough good, come on in. No way. That's not found in God's Word. Matter of fact, that's depending on your own goodness and righteousness to be saved. Why, why would Christ have to come if you can be that good? No, it's not by good works that anyone gets saved. Some people may say it's by living a moral life. I've been moral. I've tried to do the best I can in my life. I never murdered anybody. I never really did harm to anyone in any way, 
And so therefore, by my morality, by my ethical system, God must look at that and let me in heaven. But the Bible says, no, that's not going to happen because that's dependent on yourself again. That's dependent on your own righteousness again. Some people say, well, I'm religious. I've been going to church since I was yay high. And I go to church every Sunday. And I go Sunday night. And I go other times. And I go to all the processions. And I go to all the things that are involved in the church. But you know what? Just because a person walks into a church building doesn't make them a Christian. Just like if when, when if you walk into a garage, it doesn't make you a car. See, but many people believe that way. They says, I'm religious, so God has to accept me. But you know what? Every one of the attempts that we make to hope God accepts us into heaven have failed. And when we come to the place and realize, no matter how long you live your life, that whatever you do to try to appease God, that you fail, and you begin to say, well... Lord, I, I guess I'm just hopeless. I'm a hopeless case. If you come to that place, praise God. Because you know what? you got to see yourself lost before you get saved. you got to see you need a physician and you're sick before you call for one. See, that's what the Scripture is telling us. Man has an ability to try to work things out and save himself but he finds out it's just the curse of sin there really is only one remedy the Bible says to our hopeless state you know what that is that Jesus has provided as we look tonight those martyrs under the altar Jesus has provided for their salvation just as well as this evening Jesus Christ has provided for your salvation. He has provided for your eternal life. Jesus, the Bible says, who bore our sins in his own body on the tree of Calvary, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes, the Scripture says, we are healed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish and slip into hell and be under the wrath and condemnation of God for all eternity, but what? Not perish, but have everlasting life. It's yours. It's yours tonight. And I pray and thank the Lord that he became a curse for me, for you. He paid the penalty and the price for every one of our sins and he purchased a place for you and I where in heaven just like those martyr saints where where did they go when they died their souls went to heaven to be with God and so everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ the Bible says when we die we're absent from the body but what present with the Lord this is the last thing the fourth thing God wants us to know you and I must personally and individually receive the free gift 
of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was not you who died on the cross to take the curse and the penalty of sin. It was Jesus Christ who did that. It was not you or me who has been ordered by the Father or summoned by the Father to come to this earth to die on a cross. It was Christ who did that. It was not you who were able to die on a cross for your own sin. It was Christ who did that. So the Bible tells us that you must believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. The scriptures say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be what? Saved. In Acts 16 and verse 31 it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the authority. To them he gave the privilege to become the children of God. Who? To all those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and has personally received Him as their Savior. Why? Because they needed a sin sacrifice. They needed a blood sacrifice. And Jesus Christ provided that. And then what did He do? He rose. He arose from the grave. So what do you need to do tonight? In whatever condition you may be in spiritually, do this. Will you simply do this? God wants you to do this. He wants you to trust in Jesus Christ alone. He wants you in the quietness of your heart because He knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your mind. He's offering to you salvation that is free. And so the Lord wants you right now to accept Him as your Savior. For the Bible says this, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So this is the greatest opportunity that you and I will ever have to trust in Jesus Christ. And so, before we even stand this evening, I would like every head bowed and every eye closed and if the Lord has spoken to you, and if you realize that you are hopeless and need a Savior and have never trusted Christ, well, why don't you obey His words? Where the Bible says, as the Holy Spirit said, today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. Let your heart be soft today. That's what God wants you to know. That's what He wants you to know this evening. So if you, in the quietness of your heart, realize that you need to be saved, you need Christ, you need the Messiah, then pray this quietly in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that you love me because you died on the cross bearing my sins and rose again. I confess I am a sinner, dead in sin, and I cannot save myself. I do now, by faith, in your word, accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for the message of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just ask you tonight that if there is any person that had 
pray that in the quietness of their heart that Lord you would confirm it by the Holy Spirit and Lord that you would speak to them in a very intimate and a special way and that they would share with someone else who has come about the great thing that Christ has done in their life today by offering to them free salvation and they accept it the free gift and have taken it for themselves and Lord I pray that you would bless those people in a very special way this evening in Christ's name I pray amen let's stand together and those who are being baptized can depart to the back room and get ready while we sing a hymn and then we'll be ready for the baptism turn your eyes represents three things we have a full tank of water here usually it's heated but our heater didn't work till about two o'clock and it, it needs about six hours of running the 500 gallons that we have in here and we only had about four hours so it's not very warm but I told I warned them that so I got them mentally prepared for the but they're so nervous they'll never know but our, our baptism that we have is um, represents three things when a person stands first of all a person should not be baptized until they trust in Christ as their Savior um, the Bible tells us that we're to believe and then be baptized so we have to have an understanding about what salvation is all about so when a person is standing in the water, he re really represents himself in the old life as a sinner condemned in sin. And then when he goes down underneath the water, he represents being buried with Christ. As our sins were buried with Christ. All right. And then when they raise up from the water, raising up is an indication of raising to newness of life in Christ Jesus. And so that's what the baptism represents. When a person is really carrying out something outwardly, 
in symbol that has happened in their life, in their heart. And so I like to ask both Andrew and Lou if they would step down here. This is Lou and Andrea, and they have been a blessing to us in our church. And I'm going to let Andrea go first so she can give her testimony and uh, step up on that step over there and get warmed up. So, Andrea, I want to hand you the mic, all right, and just use the mic. Um, I was brought up in the Russian Orthodox faith, which is really kind of heavy on tradition and ceremony. And um, I abandoned the church as a teenager. I decided that I wasn't going to go anymore. Um, Lou and I had many discussions when we were dating about the Lord, and um, I told him at that point I felt that religion was just a means to keep law and order and morality, and anyway, at that point, I didn't believe in God or Christ. Um, then about 12 years after we married, at one of the companies I worked for, I met a woman who became a very good friend. Uh, she's a Christian, and she started witnessing to me. And she... She told me what Christ did for us on the cross, and she was always there to answer questions. And she never pushed, but she was just always there for me. And she sent me a Bible, which I stuck under the bed, and it gathered dust for quite a while. And I started reading it, and I did a lot of thinking and a lot of praying, and then one morning I, I accepted Christ as my Savior. The hardest thing for me to do was to understand that salvation was so easy. Um, I didn't feel that I was good enough, and due to my religious background, I felt that I had to earn my way to heaven. But that isn't true. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for, great, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, least, many, least any man boast. I was a teenager in the late 60s and early 70s, and that was a time of Woodstock and women's live. And I didn't think things were that bad. I knew times were changing, but it wasn't that bad. But as time went on, I guess I really wasn't paying attention, or I didn't want to see how the world really changed and how things are not the way they should be. I find that I'm very offended by a lot of the things that are going on in the world today. I'm, I'm offended by the things they're teaching kids in school about morality, about taking rights away from parents, the homosexual issue, the immorality and violence on television and in movies, um, the abortions, euthanasia, uh, these things are really against God's will and what he's taught. And at one point he said that there would come a time where good would be seen as evil and evil will be seen as good. And I, I feel the world is really turning upside down and it's time that God's people stand up and are counted.
As a young child, through my teenage years, I attended a Baptist church. Then about 25 years ago as a teen, I stepped forward at a rally to take the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal savior. But being a child in Christ with little fellowship and no follow-up, I drifted away and in time felt I lost my salvation. Matthew 18.3 says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a child, children, you should not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the Lord works in many strange and mysterious ways. A co-worker and friend of my wife started to witness to her, and in turn my wife slowly got me to think about God, the future, and the hereafter. It took a little time, but we started to look for a church. On the way home one Sunday, we saw the sign for Calvary Baptist Church. My wife's friend, Ann Kelly, called pastor to question the doctrine of the church. She let us know that it was okay to attend. <laughs> Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the word of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Well, we started attending regularly and that is when I overheard Mr. Bruce talking, talking about how from a scriptural position you could not lose your salvation. I then realized that I was saved and had eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, 28 and 29, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confessing him publicly, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried in baptism, raised up to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, we have done it as the Lord has commanded, and we'd like you to stay around, come in the back room, fellowship for a while, have some coffee and, and uh, refreshments as they have supplied them tonight. Let's stand together, close with a hymn, and we'll see you back in the back room. <laughs>